Shalom and welcome again to Secrets of Meaning, the TV show and podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Thank you very, very much for joining us. We invite you to visit us at jewishsacredaging.com and also to visit the Jewish Sacred Aging Facebook page. Um, and again, we thank you for joining us. And what I... Um, what I anticipate to be a very challenging and very, very important conversation given what's happening in the world today. Uh, we are very pleased to welcome three very distinguished guests to today's edition of Jewish uh, of, of the Our Secrets and Meaning podcast. Andrew Goretsky, the regional director for the Anti-Defamation League Philadelphia region here uh, locally. Uh, Randy Boyette, the senior associate regional director and educational director for this particular ADL region. And Rabbi Stacy Rigler, who is the executive director of ARJE, which is the umbrella organization of the Reform Jewish Educators. So, first of all, to the three of you, thank you very, very, very much for joining us. These are very, very challenging and difficult times. I wanted to explore something that I know all of us and you guys specifically are dealing with on a variety of different levels. The impact of the war, um, the rise in anti-Semitism on our young people, our high school students who are sitting in synagogues, perhaps in high school programs, post-confirmation programs, and equally our young people on college campuses who perhaps for the first time are being exposed to a reality that uh, they may not have been prepared for. So let me go right to this first question to, to, to Andrew and Randy. Talk to me about the ADL. Talk to me about what programs you are perhaps initiating or retrieving that specifically speak to preparing our young people for what's happening on college campuses and also in high schools. Because um, all this, this will reach a variety of different localities. We here in southern New Jersey have also had experiences in some of our high schools, and I know other high schools around the country as well. So. I'll turn it over. Andrew, Randy, Babakasha. Well, thank you, Rabbi Address, and really appreciate you uh, tackling this topic. It's a, obviously very timely. And as you know from the last time we spoke, I started at ADL in January of 22, and I came here after serving 23 years in higher education administration. And I came as one primary reason because of my concern over rising anti Semitism on college campuses. And so I, I thank you for talking about this. Um, just uh, before I go into what we're doing, I did want to share a little bit of data. Since October 7th, uh, when the Hamas attacks on Israel occurred, those of us at ADL were contacting local law enforcement throughout the region and regional directors at the, around the nation, asking law enforcement to continue or to uh, increase the amount of uh, patrols around both Jewish and Muslim institutions because we knew from the uh, Hamas-Israel uh, conflict in 2021 that issues there resulted in a rise of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia here. And so with that, we've, we were doing that on that day. So contacting law enforcement, staying in contact with law enforcement when things occur in order to be able to address that is one of the things we have been doing. Also from a data perspective, since October 7th, my region consists of Eastern Pennsylvania, Southern New Jersey, and the state of Delaware. We've received over 170 complaints of anti-Semitism. Just to give you a comparison, in 2022, 
we received just over 500 total for the entire year. Of those 170, about 30 of those have been on college campuses, and 35 of those have been in K through 12 schools. And as I've been doing speaking engagements, I know very well that these uh, types of incidents are still uh, being underreported because I consistently meet with individuals who haven't reported. So please make sure that if you know of something, you're reporting it to your local authorities, reporting it to us at www.adl.org. Uh, so with this, what we've been doing since uh, October 7th, um, we are responding to student group statements, and I'm going to talk specifically about college campuses. We've been responding to student group statements, uh, particularly SJP uh, on various campuses. We've been calling out inadequate responses from presidents and advising them on better ones. We've been responding to discriminatory incidents, vandalism and assaults including through contacting senior administrators and demanding a response through enhanced uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts on campus, better safety and task forces, uh, recommending specific strategies um, and engaging with alumni groups online, uh, as well as engaging individually with university leaders in partnership uh, in order to try to address issues. When we speak with university and campus leaders, uh, we are specifically asking them to define anti-Semitism on campus, uh, to adopt or at least reference the International Holocaust Remembrance Association's definition, uh, mandate anti-Semitism awareness training in diversity, equity, and inclusion programming, new student orientation, and all harassment trainings. We're talking with them about creating a task force and an advisory group on Jewish life. We want them to issue clear and unwavering statements in response to incidents and enforcing existing campus codes of conduct. Um, we want them to prepare for anti-Semitic speakers and events. We know that campuses are a place where uh, free speech and academic freedom is allowed, but that does not need to stop a university administration from using their free speech to condemn or distance the university from those statements. Um, we are looking at Title IX compliance and uh, Title VI compliance. Let me start over. We are working to with them on Title VI compliance and engaging around Title VI protections. Um, specifically, we actually are looking at, just for this audience, to be aware and keep an eye out for. We're partnering with the Office of Civil Rights to do a webinar on Title VI, which is the discrimination based on national identity. Um, and race that uh, can apply to these acts of anti-Semitism on campus. And you should look for that in late January to educate students and their parents and grandparents on where Title VI comes into play, uh, amongst many things. And then I'll, I'll pass it over to Randy, because one of the programs we've had longstanding at ADL, which has existed long before October 7th, is our Words to Action program. And she'll tell you a little bit about the Words to Action program, the goals of that. And this is really an opportunity to engage with our high school students and our college students to give them uh, the tools they need to be able to speak up against this type of hate. Thank you, Andrew. And unlike Andrew, I've been at ADL for almost 20 years and I've been working around all of the same issues. And the only thing that's really changed is that there is so much more than there was before. So we've been working with high school students and college students and even parents to try to help them help their kids 
to sort of get ready. You know, this idea of getting ready for what's going to happen on college campuses, I've been doing that for 20 years. It just feels so much more ramped up than it has been. And I first noticed it when I was actually doing a college program at Penn right after the pandemic began to lift. And students at Penn actually began to say things like, I don't like to tell people my last name. Penn was a campus that felt very safe for Jewish kids. My son is a Penn alum. And when I began to hear Jewish kids at Penn express concern and nervousness around their Jewish identity, I thought, hmm, we are entering into a very odd new phase of this, right? ADL has been concerned about rising anti-Semitism since 2017. And then this hit and it's just gotten worse. One of the, so we have been doing this words to action program. It used to be called confronting anti-Semitism. We will have this conversation around anti-Semitism with anybody that needs to have this conversation. Last week I was at a synagogue in, um, in Northfield in the short community. We're through, throughout the area, um, often with middle school or these sort of hybrids of like middle school into high school or post-confirmation class. Um, and we have often gone on to college campuses to help deal with this. We'll often work with Hillel or with Chabad, occasionally with Jewish fraternities or sororities. So the idea of Words to Action is to give students a space or their parents, to give them a space to talk about what their lived experience is, how they feel about it, and then to give them some ideas, some skill building, some tools and strategies to use if they feel that they want to do this. One of the things that's concerned me, and I see this now where students are saying, well, I'm going to put my Jewish star on and I'm wearing my kippah and I feel really like this is what I want to do. And then you have other students that are saying, my mom says I can't wear my kippah out anymore. Or my mom doesn't want me to wear my Jewish star. And I feel very obligated to say it's all good. If you are concerned, don't do it. There are other ways to be Jewish and to feel your Jewish identity. I don't want people to be at risk. And kids need to feel that however they're responding, it's okay. When they have these conversations in groups, they can strengthen each other. I don't want Jewish kids to be judging other Jewish kids about how they're responding, especially in this time of crisis. So that's something that we think a lot about in terms of helping students think about what's to come. But I have to say, it's not just high school kids thinking about college. It's high school kids dealing with their lived reality every day in their schools. So, you know, I, it's just so much more of the work, Rabbi. But I think no, it's no. critical that we continue this work. Stacy, you work with uh, reformed Jewish educators all across probably North America, uh, if not beyond. Um, Having served congregations myself in both Los, in Los Angeles and here in, in, in Southern New Jersey, I know the challenges of creating curriculum 
you know, partly let's keep the kids here. And what are we going to discuss? There's been a sea change in this. What are, what are you picking up now amongst your colleagues who are running religion, your constituents, the people who are creating the curriculum, running the religious schools, both little ones and the big ones? What, do, what are you picking up since October 7th? Sure. Um, I'll echo what Randy says in that um, I think the basic strategies are the same. Um, and the, the most prevalent one is relationships first especially with our teens, with our college students, um, and with our parents. If Jewish educators aren't already a trusted adult in those that are questioning, those that are seeking meaning, those that are learning, wanting to learn more, especially at this moment, if they're not literally and figuratively in these folks' feeds, it doesn't much matter what the curriculum is. Our 21st century education is all about critical thinking skills. It's all about the ability to understand what's happening in the world and to critically respond for yourself, just like Randy was saying, for you to have the competence and confidence to say, I'm making this choice and this is why. And what I'm hearing is that educators are being asked over and over again to be resources for parents, for kids especially worried parents, um, especially around security and coming to Jewish institutions. They're nervous and they want those educators to care and comfort them pastorally, both for their own fears, um, as well as for the bigger Jewish questions that we've always struggled with. Why does hatred exist? Why does evil exist? Things that our theology, that are bedrocks to our theology. Um, it's, right. it's not it's not totally new. The volume is ramped way up um, and the needs that families are asking for. But I think the educators feel like this is their mission to be there for these families in their time of need. And we have answers to these questions. Unfortunately, they're not new. Just the format of them is new and disturbing. You know, you, you, you mentioned the educators and I'm thinking having run religious schools in my career, you know, um, the teachers who are in these classrooms, sometimes they're, especially a smaller congregation, they may be volunteers um, who are coming to the classroom, maybe trying to keep one chapter ahead, so to speak. How do we begin to, how do we begin to educate the teachers who are on the ground in these classrooms who may be carrying their own fear um, and have had some experience. How, is, is ARJ doing anything with that or, or ADL? I mean, I would imagine that would be a huge undertaking. I'm just something to think of, wrap my head around so many teachers in so many synagogues just dealing with this age group. It's, it could be overwhelming. Is any, are you, are you aware of any movement in that direction. Sure. And then I'm I'm sure um, Randy and Andrew can respond. I think the teacher education is no different. It's about teaching our teachers that they don't have to have all the answers. They need to know how to get verifiable sources and they don't have to respond immediately, which is really, I think, one of the biggest lessons for everybody at this moment that 
our teachers are supposed to be helping our kids generate big questions, think about a values-based approach. You know, when you talk about who's, who's right in this situation, well, let's understand what are people's intentions? What are the values behind what they're doing? Do we have shared values? And I think that we've already been working with our teachers on these big questions in Jewish life. And so part A is helping our teachers know they don't have to have all the answers. They can't. Who? I, we're all seasoned professionals and none of us have the answers for this moment. Part B is yes, there are incredible Jewish institutions, including the ADL that are providing so much for teachers at this moment who have the ability to learn more, who want to deepen their knowledge. But there are a segment of teachers and Jewish professionals in general that are also just paralyzed by their personal pain and trauma and sadness. And we have to recognize that different people need different things at this moment. Some need more content, others need more love. Um, and like Randy was saying, like those are all valid responses. Um, but our teachers already know they can't know everything. They couldn't possibly. But what they can do is be trusted adults and help make those connections to trusted sources or to verify facts or to get answers. If I can, if I can add on to this, you know, the, I think this recognition that we're in a traumatic moment. October 7th was traumatizing on many levels and is trauma. And so the, the feelings are there and, and those are all valid and understanding that's the perspective we're coming from and many individuals are. I think this concept of validating and relying on information, especially in a day of social media where our high school students and college students are, and there's so much misinformation and disinformation that is out there that needs to be managed and dealt with that heightens that fear and anxiety. And so, you know, I have been often saying to students and others, don't repost something unless you know it is 100% accurate. Um, ADL, we actually have a debunking false information about the war on our website where there's narratives that get changed and twisted online and that heightens fear. Um, that that we are trying to debunk as best we can. And so that concept of for teachers of know what you're sharing, make sure you have the facts straight when you're having the conversation um, in order to do that. And then when you do get a fact incorrect, owning it and admitting that and, and moving on, because that's part of what builds trust, especially with our children. Yeah, I, I'm going to pursue this social media thing because this is our kids are on, I mean, I take a look at my own grandchildren, you know, um, as perfect as they may be, but there's still, they, they, they're locked into that phone. And with TikTok and, you know, the, the statistics that, that the majority of Americans are getting their news now through TikTok is very, very frightening. So talk to me. I mean, Andrew opens the door here about this, the, the use of social media and the, and the misinformation. Especially here, we have a whole, all these kids are tied into social media. The ADL has a, a website. Uh, and real, real fast, Andrew, the web, if a parent wants or a kid hears this, what's that website? What's that website? www.adl.org. Click on the information about the Israel Hamas war. 
It's right there okay. on the main page and you can find anything you need. So just explain this social media thing. How, how, how are you? The, here's the thing from ADL, the website, religious schools. How, how we, Randy, Stacy, how, how are we dealing with this, which is evidently a major source of information to, uh, to these kids? I think we're dealing with it poorly. I think that, you know, the internet is not designed to uh, foment understanding and critical thinking. It's meant to drive strong emotions. It, um, you know, the algorithms are much more linked to hate than they are to love. I think that um, in some ways, you know, the message that they need to use their critical thinking skills, that they need to think about, you know, who is trying to sell them something, to sell them a message online and why they want to sell that message. That's the job of educators and that's the job of parents to remind them, you know, and, and it's hard because we're pushing back against, you know, the, their norm, which is social media. But, you know, I have watched, I'm not a lot on TikTok, and I think it's kept me sane, but I watched my son, my 40-year-old, like scrolling through TikTok, and there's TikTok after TikTok put out by, you know, pro-Hamas folks. And I said to him, Josh, if you don't stop watching this, it's going to do something to your head because it's this constant information and it's designed to touch you and to and to just change how you're thinking. So I think social media is with us and we're not getting rid of it and there's good parts of it, God knows. But I think that educators and parents need to be having the conversation with their kids about what are you seeing on social media? Is there anything that's counterbalancing it? Where are you getting your news? Like TikTok can be very amusing, but that might not be the place you want to get your news. Right. I just think we need to push back against the toxic parts of it and lift up the better parts of it. I know Andrew's done a ton of studying on social media. I don't know whether you've been working on how to interrupt the negative parts of it, but you know, Andrew's much more, you know, understanding of how kids connect to social media, even. I just hear the horror stories, you know. Well, the, the, but. You know, the, the constituency that has, in many cases, when one hopes a significant amount of influence on our young people are, are their parents. And also, I'm going to throw in another constituency that we're finding in our work, and that are grandparents. So with the, with the three of you, in, in your various constituencies, how are we beginning to work with parents and grandparents on exactly these issues? Because I'll just be quiet then. Can I I float a different theory of who's influential in this space? Float any theory you want. (laughs) You're you're the star. um, When I worked at the Foundation for Jewish Camp, um, the terminology that they used um, for young Jewish educators was near peers. The counselors, the madrachim in the classroom, the youth group advisors, the young people who are teaching those, you know, eighth to 10th grade classes or 12th grade classes. When I was an education director, our biggest budget item for the teens was the pizza we served. 
gift. It wasn't the curriculum we purchased with no um, disrespect to any amazing curriculum. But that time when we were sitting next to the kids and saying like, show me what's on TikTok that you found funny today, scrolling with them. I absolutely think there's a role for adults, parents and grandparents and grandparents have a way um, of, of getting the right channel um, that parents don't always to help echo those messages. And we can't come, we can't work against social media. What we can be, especially our near peers, is to sit next to our kids and ask those questions. And with all due respect, I don't know where to get good news, right? Like, I, I, think, if, I think if we all talked about the news sources we're consuming, especially at this moment, it's a little tricky. And so I don't want to work against them. I actually want to have conversations about what they're seeing. Why would somebody rip down a picture of a six-year-old child who was kidnapped? What is the motivation for that? Why would, do you think this is true? How would you find that out? You, this person posted something. What would you consider before you repost it? Why would you repost it? We talk about Takuna Lam, right? We talk about being our best selves. Like, what does that look like in a social media space? I think we've been talking to kids about these things. And this moment in time demands that we level up that education in a way that they can start asking questions of themselves. And then their parents can be echoing those messages of like, no, five hours scrolling is not the best choice for you. I want to, Stacey, I want to read, can, can go, I just reinforce ahead. something? Just, let me, let me reinforce something quickly here on, on this. No, go, I, go, 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 go. The, 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 this idea of, especially because one of the things I've been focused on in the last couple of weeks is talking with Jewish parents and grandparents about how to engage with their Jewish child who is very anti-Israel at this point in time, because there are many of them. Who are, who are there and at this moment. And part of that is, is what they're getting in social media and others. And this concept of rather than, because I think from our instinct is, I want to tell you what's right and I want you to agree with me. And what we need to be doing is saying to our kids, rather than here's what it is and do you agree, help me understand why you think to then know what they're getting, what information they are getting online and then we have to equip ourselves with valid information regardless of news source. So, for example, I'm going to give you a very specific one. The concept that Israel is allegedly this apartheid state, which is, a, which is something that is out there. When you talk to a young child who doesn't understand the nuances of different pieces from a different end, you can ask them, did you know that if they come out with that, did you know that 20% of the voting population in Israel isn't Jewish, and in fact, they're Muslim. Did you know that a Supreme Court justice in Israel is Muslim? And when you ask those things, are there issues in Israel with their minority populations in the same way that we have in the US? Absolutely. And there's work that has to be done, but to call it an apartheid state is, is, a, is a misconception and isn't accurate. And so this is where when we ask the question, why do you think and we can know where they're coming from, it then allows us to have information to challenge the thinking in a way that then makes them reflect on it later 
so that when they see more things, they're seeking out more information. This is the core of critical thinking and how we have to manage it in a day and age of social media when they are getting bombarded for five hours because it's this constant feedback loop of what they're thinking and seeing. That's where we have to interrupt. And Andrew, when you take that non-defensive stance, it models for them what they can then do in relationships in college with their roommates, with their professors. Like You've actually modeled that curiosity stance in a way that is so important that our kids, the last thing we want them to do is feel judged or shamed. We really just want to learn more. And what you said is my favorite saying, can you just help me understand? And I think that that's a problem because parents feel so passionately. That's, you know, parents and grandparents are so upset about this current state of anti-Semitism that what's happening is kids are not talking to their parents and their grandparents. So I always say that you need to be calm, right? If something happens in your kid's school, and you're lucky enough that your kid has told you, if you like begin to lose your mind about it, they will shut down. I've talked to parents on the phone and I, and I, and I'm like, well, how's your child doing? And they're like, my child has shut down. Right. And when I hear a parent say, my child has shut down, I know it's because they can't handle all of the emotion. They're carrying the emotions of their parents and their grandparents who they love. And it's overwhelming them. So, you know, and when we're traumatized, as we are in this time, you know, you look at those pictures of the kids. I see my grandchildren's faces, you know, like and I think most of us who are parents or grandparents, we feel that like we feel it. But when we're having conversations with teens or college students, we need to like we need to just calm it down. You know, I feel like I need to vent to my friends so that when I have conversations with students, I can be like my calm self so they remember, can hear us and we can hear them. And we also need to remember that for college age students in particular, but high school as well, but this concept of they need to feel like they belong in their new community. And so for our college freshmen and sophomores, they want this community. They need the community. They've just come out of 12 years of schooling where they've had these close friends and they're now going to a place where many of them are building new relationships and then they hear different rhetoric and they're trying to figure out how do I speak up? How do I have my identity where I don't ostracize myself in the process or feel ostracized in, in this concept? And so, you know, in all of this, it's, you know, coming from this place of empathy and, and understanding where they're coming from is going to help them belong in that community and still challenge the thinking that they may be hearing. And let's not forget our college students missed two years of socialization, yeah. two years of these type of critical skills that are taught in the best schools and Jewish communities, Amen. summer camps. And so they're already working from a deficit and we won't, we won't talk about the parents <laughs> of which I'm one of them. So. No, 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 no. This is the, the week we've, we're forgetting that this was just recent history, that there's a generation of students who their teacher was the zoom machine. And, and we're paying the, we will pay the price. We are paying the price for that. Before we start running out of time, I, 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 there's a couple of things that just bubbled up while you guys were talking. And again, thank you. Thank you very, very, very much. Um, but Stacey, you raised something. I just want to throw this out to you because you, you do come, you do have a, a, an association and a 
affinity for um, Jewish camping and specifically the, the best of all the Jewish camps, Camp Harlem. Um, <laughs> just an editorial comment. I'll just throw that in. We, uh, since, I, since I've been associated with it since 1963, <laughs> do you think this summer the there's going to be, I'm, uh, I'll probably rephrase this, we have a humongously wonderful opportunity, don't we, this summer to create empathic, loving, caring, supportive conversations inter across several generations at, at Harlem, at Ramah, at all these, because these kids are going to be coming out of this years of experience to their summer camp. How do we have, have you guys begun to create some sort of discussion guide for? summer camps or do you think that because I, I think as, as you guys were talking i'm thinking boy this summer is an unbelievable it's a safe space people love each other and they'll have a a year of of this what what's your experience what's your thought on that on the use of uh, um, the camps is listen i think jewish summer camp um and especially camp harlem uh <laughs> is the cure to almost everything and <laughs> I wish it were true um, that it was the bubble people want it to be. Um, what we know will occur this summer um, is that parents will be even more nervous about the safety and security. Camp directors will need to spend even more time and money and training on security and training, which for a young leader is also scary. It, it's hard to be a 19 year old and have to imagine these evacuation drills and caring for children. And, you know, we created the system and thank goodness there are trusted adults in charge. Um, I hope we have Israeli Shlichim. I hope they are not serving in the IDF. And we know that there is a big divide between what a lot of young Americans are posting on their social media and the individual support um, that young Jewish Americans are giving to their friends. And when done well, that will be such an opportunity for conversation around um, the personal and depersonal nature of social media. Um, and so for those camps that are lucky enough to have amazing Jewish educators, great faculty, great clergy, great support, I think it could be such a ripe learning experience and that foundation has already been set. Um, and just like anything else, um, if you don't have amazing leadership, it, it could be really challenging um, because there is this big divide. Um, and I think the places where we will do ourselves best is if we can go back to that inherent assumption. Everybody here cares about the dignity of all human beings. Everybody here believes in this is true. Um, I hope I, I know it is in the communities I spend time in believes in Israel's right to exist and has a love for the land of Israel. And how can we figure out what that looks like? Um, but I do think for our kids, um, it's a place where they'll have a lot of um, possibility for conversation, which is so important. Um, and yeah. like avoiding that fear that that what the parents bring myself included um usually that's like the beauty of summer camp that you're you're free from that and i'm Have sure you, the foundation uh, for jewish camp and my jewish educational colleagues um are, are ready deep deeply thinking about this 
have you guys begun to see or have conversations maybe in your workshops that you're doing, the talks that you're doing, the calls that you're getting of, um, say, high school students who are contemplating going into college next year, but now are concerned about applying to certain colleges that are in the headlines and say, you know something, I'm not going to go there. I want to go there. I want I wanted to go to Penn, but I see it's on fire. I want to go to Cornell, but I'm reading all this. Uh, have you, and, and how do you handle that? So let me jump in here because I've had many of these conversations with individual parents as they've spoken to me, given my background in higher ed. Worked at large state, large private, small private. Um, here's my perspective, and this is Andrew Goretzky, the higher ed professional. That's, that's who I'm asking. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to make sure it's, you know, I'm, I'm the regional director for ADL and I think we're no, still working, we're still working on different pieces, but you know, I think from a higher ed perspective, you need to have a conversation with your student and speak with your student about what is it that's going to help them be successful at college academically and religiously and related to their faith. And so for the kid who when something like this happens with the Israel Hamas war, are they the kid who is going to do, are they the student who's going to do better at a school that's probably not going to talk about it? The students on campus aren't talking about it and they're going to feel isolated. You, you might have the type of child who, who might be better with that where it's just not coming up on a daily basis in their life. And that may be the school from them from their Jewish identity perspective. You may have a kid that in these moments or a student in these moments who really needs a strong Jewish community, in which case I would argue a Penn or a Cornell or a University of Maryland, which has a very strong, vibrant Jewish community, even though they may have more incidents at this point in time, may be the place for them to go to have that community. So it really needs to be an in-depth conversation with your child, with your grandchild about what they want academically, what they want socially. What role do they see Jewish life playing in their college experience? And those are the factors to take into consideration around what. And then go visit the campus. Go meet with the Hillel folks. Go meet with the Chabad. Uh, if, if you're more religious and want to meet with the Chabad individuals on campus, meet with the Jewish community on that campus and talk to the students who are there. The Hillel programs will allow you to do that. Figure out what's the best fit for your own student. I think what I've seen for a long time is that students that go to college and affiliate, they hang out at Chabad or they go to Hillel or they join, you know, an Israel support organization. Those students are not the Jewish students I'm so worried about. And when we talk to them, they tend to feel like, yeah, I'm dealing with this, but like we're dealing with it together. The Jewish students that concern me are the ones that don't affiliate, right? So they are trying to just be on a college campus and live their life as a Jewish American on a college campus. And they're there to like get an education and, you know, like have fun and, you know, do all the bad things we don't want them to do on college campuses and some good ones too. They don't do any and, bad things on a college and then, campus. And those kids I worry about. What I tell Jewish kids that I'm talking to now is to think about when they go onto a college campus to try to connect with the Jewish community on a college campus, if they're inclined to, I worry less for those students. I think they, 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 
they have colleagues in it, you know, and I was with a, a college a group of college students yesterday or my, Sunday, and one of them said that you need one trusted adult on the faculty. And I thought that was such an interesting thing because it's certainly true for high school kids too. You know, even if there's a lot of folks that you can't talk to and there's professors that you're nervous about, if you have one professor or one administrator that you feel will have your back, it changes. And this was told to me by a student at Cornell. So this wow. kid has been through the ringer and he dealt with a ton of anti-Semitism. And what he said was that in high school, he dealt with anti-Semitism coming from the right. And he thought that when he went to Cornell, he wouldn't be dealing with all of that. And there were so many Jewish kids on the Cornell campus. And then he gets hit with this. But he said there was one professor that has made all the difference for him. So I think so true. that's something. So true. I think there's a lot of folks who, um, who wanted to believe that the anti-Zionism on the left was not anti-Semitism. And I don't think anybody can believe that anymore. And so I think what we're seeing is, um, at least from my experience, and it's much less than the two of yours, that there were always kids that went to those campuses and wound up transferring and wound up having negative experiences. It just wasn't making national news. And so now the parents and the families are having conversations ahead of time. I, I think anytime that's happening, that's positive. So to all of to the three of you, first of all, let me, let me thank you for your work. Let me thank you for your dedication uh, to really helping our families, our parents, our grandparents, but most of all, our kids try to navigate in this extremely difficult maze where the end doesn't necessarily seem to be clear if there is an end. So let me thank you for that and your time today. Uh, stay safe and stay healthy. Um, the Andrew, the website again, www.adl.org. And Stacy with the ARJE continued. Good luck with that. And, and, um, and maybe I'll see you this summer at camp. Say hello to Peter for me. And I'll just um, ask anyone who's blessed with an educator in their community, thank them. And Randy, thank you for the work you're doing. Um, that's because exactly there's no right. best for our educators. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a monumental transitional moment in the American Jewish history uh, story. Uh, everything has changed. So again, thank you to the three of you for everything you do and for your love of our people and the dedication that you have for our work. To all of you, thank you for joining us on this edition of Secrets of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. If you'd like to help us continue this work, please go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com. Click on the donate button. We appreciate whatever you can do. Any of you would like to sponsor a series of these podcasts, please just email me at rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com. Secrets of Meaning is produced at the broadcast centers of Rebecca and Media Companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And a big thank you to our producer, Steve Hubeckin. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time. Until the next time on Secrets of Meaning, I appreciate you being with us. Until that next time, stay safe, everyone. Stay healthy. And most of all, be kind. Shalom to Dutch.